0: Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. Strong Runner Chicks! Welcome back to another episode of SRC Radio. Today we have with us Caitlin Jacobson, who is a friend of mine that lives in the Portland area. I'm really excited to have her on. Um, She is the founder of Endure Recovery and holds a Master's of Science in Integrative Physiological Sciences Physiological, yes, I said that correctly, from UCLA, a BA in neuroscience from Claremont McKenna College, and she is also a certified eating disorder recovery coach through the Carolyn Coston Institute. Before starting in Endure Recovery, Caitlin was a staff research associate in the Stimulant Abuse and Addiction Lab at UCLA and the UCLA Tenenbaum Center for the Biology of Creativity. She completed her thesis on neural substrates involved in impulse control and addiction. Endure Recovery grew out of the need for focused and individualized support for the athlete with an eating disorder. Caitlin's personal recovery journey and professional experience highlighted the gap in treatment of competitive endurance athletes who suffer from eating disorders. Caitlin is also a mother to two very strong athletic daughters and one very artistic son. She lives in Portland with her children and husband, Alan, who is a PhD level scientist and inventor at Amazon. She still runs competitively with Rose City Track Club, preferring trails over roads and real food over gels. Well, Caitlin, that is quite the intro uh, taken from your lovely website, which we're excited to share. Um, Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's fun to hear
0: you. Yeah super excited to have you on. Um, so a question we kind of always start everyone off with is just how you first got your start in running or athletics.
1: Okay. Um, great. Yeah. So I, I feel like I've really been running my whole life. I have always been a runner. Um, though I didn't formally get into it until high school, junior high age. Um, but I, before that I was just always the kid running around the neighborhood. Um, with my siblings I'm one of four kids and then I grew up playing kind of the traditional ball sports basketball volleyball and I remember I always, I was I was decent at basketball um, but I was really good at getting down the court super fast and stealing the ball um, But then I just couldn't score or do anything with it. Sounds
0: a lot like me. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I I didn't know running was a sport itself until my sister, who's a year ahead of me in school, um, started high school and she started running cross country. And I went to a summer running practice with her um, and we did a mile time trial. And I just thought it was like the most fun thing in the world um, to run with about 50 other girls just on the roads. Um, and then it really clicked for me and I do remember feeling like this, like, Oh, this is like one of my greatest passions and I love it. Um, and really it hasn't changed much to this day. Um, yeah, that was like 18 years ago now, I think. And, um, yeah. And then I began to have some success in it, which is always validating and especially being one of four children to get some awareness and recognition. Um, and so I continued running through High school and then um knew that's what i wanted to do in college too just to keep racing mm-hmm.
0: ah i love hearing kind of the the inklings of when the passion was first ignited back in the day and really exciting mm-hmm. to kind of hear about that um how did your running journey kind of evolve from there like what was your collegiate experience and transition like
1: mm-hmm Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So through high school, I had a pretty non-traditional running time then because I went to a very small high school, um, not the same school as my older sister, and I was actually the only runner there. And so I was my own cross-country team, um, which is not super fun. (laughs) So I, of course, still loved it. But I I missed, I always wanted a team. I just couldn't get people who wanted to run with me. Um, And then... In tra- yeah, track, I there was a track team at my high school, but um, no one took it very seriously. We didn't really even have a coach. And so through high school, I pretty much just coached myself or got coaching training advice from local high school coaches. Um, and my dad on paper was my, um, my coach. So that wow. he entered me into meets. Um, it also, I'm very close with my dad and always have been. And that was like a really deep bonding experience for us to go to all the meets together. Um, And just for that to be our thing, which was neat. Um, And then, yeah, my junior year of high school, I started to um, just have more success. And that's when I got really serious about running. And so I started to get some attention from collegiate coaches. Um, I knew I wanted to run Division III um, because I really, I wanted to go to a small college. Um, I didn't want running to feel like my job ever. And I wanted to focus on academics. Um, so I sought out lots of Division three schools. and Claremont McKenna College is in um, located outside of LA. It's the only school I looked at on the West Coast. Um, and when I was doing visits, it was all in the wintertime. And so I would go to like Middlebury and Williams College all on the East Coast, and it was iced over the runners around <laughs> treadmills. And then I went out to Claremont um, and just fell in love with the fact that you could run outside in shorts, in a sports bra, like in January.
0: Yes, love it. Um, and where did you grow up? I don't think we really, we missed that part.
1: Yeah, um, I'm from Chicago. I grew okay. up on the south side of Chicago. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, kind of on the southwest side.
0: Yeah, so um, was it challenging to go, to end up deciding on you know California, both for yourself and your parents living kind of far away? Was that a, a challenge to transition?
1: No, I have always been super independent, um, since early childhood. And so, and I always knew I wanted to go away. Um, my parents still live within about five miles of where they were born and raised, um, along with, and I have a huge extended family, um, pretty much everyone still lives in Chicago. So my parents, they didn't have the opportunity to go away or really to get out. And so they really encouraged, um, myself and my three siblings to travel and um, go away for school, um I think they did think we would all come back, and no one has
0: <laughs> oh so they're still there, and you yeah, all moved they're still there, uh-huh. yeah, yeah.
1: extended family, they are all still there, um mm-hmm. but my siblings and I were all across the country, but no, I think it was I always knew I was gonna go go away and get yeah, out.
0: yeah. I think I can relate on that note, too, of wanting to kind of go far out, and it's really nice to hear that it was, you know, just a natural transition in your case, it sounds like, you know, Mm -hmm. from that regard, yeah, Um, yeah, Yeah, definitely. So um, kind of segueing into the work you do now and sort of your path and how that evolved, and I also didn't ask kind of what your major was going into college. Like, did you foresee the path that you have, you know, have ended up on um, at this time at all? Were there any inklings of how you would navigate the waters of, you know, ending up in neuroscience and getting that degree? Or where were your sights set at the time?
1: Yeah. That's yeah. That's a great question. Um, I do very much feel like where I'm at now is where I always have wanted to be, and where I have always seen myself, which is a cool thing to be to see come to fruition after um, yeah many years of envisioning it. Yeah. I. Yeah, in high school um, was when I really was beginning to struggle with um, severe restrictive anorexia and mm-hmm. eating disorders. Um, it was very much tied into running, um, but also just a lot of personality, a lot of personality traits and mm-hmm. early kind of childhood traumatic experiences I had that formed me into this person, put me at high risk, mm-hmm. um, which I'll yeah I'll get into if you'd like in a little bit too. Um, but I. Always knew. Um, Yeah, so in high school, I struggled with that a lot continuing on in college, um, all really in silence. I was not open about it. Um, I also not a lot of help was available at the time. Um, I and I wasn't offered a lot of support. Um, I think there was some of it not offered and some of me denying it. Um, Also, a lot of the notion felt like if people ignored it, it would go away. And Mm -hmm. so not putting more attention on it Um, and halfway, so about halfway through college, I knew I wanted to, I was studying neuroscience. Um, Mm -hmm. I had some really incredible professors and I knew someday I want to work with people with eating disorders. Um, But I knew I was also still kind of in the thick of it myself. And so Mm -hmm. I knew it was not the time. Um, But I did, even at that time I started researching some jobs in the eating disorder field. Um, and internships for after college. And one of them happened to be um, Montanito, which is a world renowned eating disorder facility um, re- started by Carolyn Coston, who years later, I completed my eating disorder recovery um, coaching sort cert- of certification from. And I did end up working at one of her centers, the Eating Disorder Center of Portland a few years ago. Um, So it's funny to look back on, like when I was 18 in college, I knew I wanted, I was looking at jobs at this place, Mm -hmm. Um, but still struggling myself. So I'm glad I didn't pursue that at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after college, yeah, post-college, I had a great opportunity um, at UCLA to work in the addiction research lab there with um, meth and cocaine addiction. And um, really, it was an incredible experience. And even during all my time there, I was constantly looking at jobs, um, to work in the eating disorder world and to get into that, um, and to study like the neurobiology of that. So I was always doing that to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just life was unfolding in different ways. And then after moving to Portland, uh, just about two and a half years ago, right away, I applied for a job at the eating disorder center of Portland, um, and discovered like yes this is where i'm supposed to be i love this field and then that's when i um, went to get my certification so i could do it privately and really so i could focus on working with athletes
0: so good so much to unpack there um i really like how you took us through your journey and i think it's really helpful a lot of our listeners are still in college or about to go off to school and kind of navigating their you know figuring out how their path is going to unfold so it's really neat to kind of look at it and see your perspective, looking back. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so kind of starting with your own personal journey, right? Because I think that's really a big piece there that led you to this, it sounds like. Um, Do you mind sharing a little bit more just about kind of the process of realizing that you had an eating disorder and seeking, you know, um, seeking help for it? How -hmm. you went about that?
1: Yeah. So that is, again, I kind of had a non-traditional, um, path towards recovery really in the fact that I did a lot of the work on my own. Um, I didn't have professional help, um, for most, actually for my full like 10 years that I spent, um, struggling with the eating disorder. In high school, my parents did take me to a nutritionist and to a top um, sports medicine doctor in Chicago who worked with marathon runners and elite runners and um, none of these people really knew how to handle it still and there was just a lot of um, insensitivity I would say and kind of looked at me and said, oh, she looks like a typical runner Um, yeah, we're not too worried. I did at the age of 16, I did have a bone density scan and was diagnosed with osteopenia. Um, So borderline osteoporosis. And even that at the time definitely did not scare me because I was running faster and faster. And I was like only getting better at that point and still getting more college coaches calling me and recruiting me. Um, So even though some doctors were predicting okay in a couple of years you are going to be injured and this is going to affect you um I was just stuck in that really that like strong self-identity as a runner and as um someone with an eating disorder and it became it was such a big part of me um I didn't know how to get out and I unfortunately didn't have the right support the program I ran at in college was not very supportive at all and unfortunately a lot of the girls on our team were struggling Um, and coaches, we were, I felt like I was treated very much as a disposable runner, um, to be honest. And it was not a positive experience. Um, I spent finally in college is when I was diagnosed with my first stress fracture. And then it just, um, continued to have stress fracture after stress fracture, but still I was so in it that my whole identity had been wrapped around being a runner. And so I didn't, um, it was super scary for me to, to be anything else or to even confront it at that time, um, without the support. And so it wasn't until later on in life that I was able to face it. Um, a lot of it still on my own, but really in the last, uh, the last few years, last several years now working with an incredible therapist, um, and doing a lot of the healing work and looking at my different puzzle pieces that contributed to the, to the eating disorder. Um, yeah, cause there's a lot, there's a lot there and there's, mm-hmm. I think there's so many factors that are involved in, um, in developing an eating disorder.
0: Yeah, well, I really commend you for for sharing and for doing the work. And it sounds like you're still, you know, it's never a process of just like, I'm healed, I'm fine now. It's ongoing, you know, really, with anything to to do the work and continue that. the last little bit there, you were kind of alluding to all the factors at play. I'm curious if you could share a little bit more for maybe those who aren't as familiar or who are even experiencing signs in themselves or others, what some of those compounding factors, you know, maybe for you personally or just in general, um, kind of what you notice with clients that you work work with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we all have so many different puzzle pieces um, from our genetics, uh, the way we're wired to early childhood experiences, um, traumas play in. Then when puberty occurs is really is the typical onset for eating disorders. And that is the path mine took. Um, When I was Yeah, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, that I've always been a really super independent person. Um, A lot of that is I was born second child into a family um, of really extreme poverty at the time. And my father, he is blind. He had lost his sight in an accident when um, my older sister, when my mom was pregnant with my older sister. So at the time I was born, my parents had two, they were 20, um, yeah, 20 years old. They had two babies. My dad had just lost his sight um, for the rest of his life. He was learning how to, how to live again and how to read and write. Um, I, will, I won't get super deep into that, but I will say like my parents say that my dad losing his sight and that accident was the best thing that ever happened to them because it did turn their lives around. Um, my dad became a psychotherapist, went back to school, has really done incredible work. Um, and that accident I think was a wake up to them. Um, but myself being born into this experience, I learned at a very young age to take care of myself, I think, and to, to be that person who didn't need help and who on many levels, like just didn't, didn't have needs and didn't need anything. And so I have learned over time, like that is one of my deeply entrenched patterns is to be super independent and to be able to do everything by myself, um, And so that's a pattern I still have to work with is knowing it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to ask for help. Um, and it's okay to need help and nothing's wrong with that. Um, so some of those parts and then also, yeah, being a runner puts you at higher risk, um, of eating disorders. Some of it is personality type. I've always been super hardworking, driven. Um, I also, I was in very much in the sport at the time of, um, when coaches encourage their runners to be as thin as possible. Um, there was a lot of negative body talk and body shaming um, with all the coaches I was really a part of and the teams I was a part of. And so to me, it I, I believed that there was one size fits all. Um, and so there's been a lot for the last 10 years now, I think I've been, um rewiring my brain to change to realize that's not how it is and that's not and that's not
0: how it can be in our sport. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. young women. And I think we're we've come pretty far. I mean there's been a lot of progress made but there's still so much room for growth, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um okay, so many ways I want to take our conversation. Uh one before we kind of move on I'm experiencing some background noise. I don't know if that's me or you. Maybe it's me. It's probably my end. Okay. Um, But one thing there with you studying neuroscience and talking about kind of rewiring your brain, um, in a sense, what overlap do you see between um, eating disorders, addictions, and substance abuse? Do you feel like these are separate or do you see eating disorders as some type of addiction?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I was just having a conversation with um, this great group of women who I'm a part of, and we have deep spiritual discussions. And we were talking a lot about these different, whether you call it neurotic behaviors or addictions or escapes. And I think that um, I think there's so much overlap, and I think that we all have these behaviors that we've become accustomed to, and ways that we escape from feeling our feelings, and from experiencing putting ourselves out there and being vulnerable, and feeling pain. And I think so much of my own experience, and I see this in my clients, is the running away from actually feeling what I was afraid to feel. and. Um, Like for me, maybe one piece was that I was afraid to feel dependent. I was afraid to need someone or something. And so in restricting um, and starving myself and running myself into the ground and really a big piece of mine was exercise addiction too, where I could not stop running even when I was on crutches, stress fractures, because had I stopped running or had I just stopped (laughs) to slow down, I would have had to face... Um, so much bigger things like my self identity and, and to feel things that I had run from my whole life. Um, so I think, yeah, I think a lot of addictions are just, are that are numbing ourselves. And sometimes, um, like with these women that we were talking, like sometimes meditation can even be an escape in a way to numb ourselves, but it's also running, um, or, Uh, watching TV, uh, you know, everything, like we all overworking or just being busy. Like there's so many,
0: so many escapes we take from just feeling the thing we need to feel. Mm -hmm. So coming back to kind of that, that self-identity piece, right? Because that's something we talk a lot about at SRC is just like this identity of being wrapped up in the sport of running and how you can break free and see yourself as more than that. Um, what were a couple things maybe that you did and or that you help your clients to do to kind of break, break that apart a little bit more, like focus on the <laughs> puzzle piece and, and see themselves as more than a runner? And I'm also curious how, you know, you're a runner today. I imagine you kind of still see yourself as a runner in a way or you do running, but how has that evolved since you had your eating disorder and since you've, you've been working on it over the years um, to cultivate more of a healthy relationship with it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of my work with clients is looking at passions and looking at things that light us up and that really like set your soul on fire and that you get excited about. And a lot of the young girls I work with um, are in high school or college and they will they don't know what those things are or they haven't seen them or allowed themselves to see them. And so they are afraid or do often will say like, I don't know who I am outside of running. And that's, that's what piece I see. So some of it is getting on a deeper level and looking at like, okay, who are you on a soul level? Like, are you, light in love and awareness and getting to much deeper things. I think being able to like see your own inner light has been huge in my own process, in my own personal therapy. Um, and to relate to that and just be able to go back to that, That like at my core, I am something so much bigger than just, than just a runner. Um, I also think a big piece is the people you surround yourself by, surround yourself by. And for me, like being a part of a team now, I'm very um, intentional about the people I'm around and choosing Rose City Track Club. I chose that team because it is this great group of individuals who who come together because we all love running, but everyone is so much more than just a runner. And it's really, it has been super inspiring for me to see because there's a lot of like incredibly fast, talented women Um, and men, but quite a few who are like going after Olympic uh, trials qualifier time Mm and reaching it yet they are full-time professionals and parents and, you know, engineers and MDs and all of us like have all these other aspects of ourselves. Um, I think for me becoming a mother for sure was a huge, um, a huge change in every way, but also really made me realize, um, when I got pregnant realizing like, okay, this life is not just about me anymore. Um, one, I need to take much better care of my body physically and this baby growing inside me, but also like, what do I want to model for my children? Um, in terms of everything, like eating, eating behaviors, uh, to exercise and also, um, yeah, just looking at self-identity and in a, a much broader range, I would say, and just like a more expansive, I try to get my clients to really look at it as expanding themselves.
0: Um, I think that's really neat. I love the way that you, um, I think we talked about this over a run once, kind of the process you do, or the process you use to work with clients, and it's really, um, really inspiring and neat. Um, I wanted to share this from your website. So you write, as a recovery coach, I focus on the here and now. Unlike therapists, I am not delving into the underlying causes of the disease or deep-rooted reasons as to why my clients developed an eating disorder. Rather, I am focusing on helping the client eat their food, resist urges, reach out to others, live a more meaningful life, and work towards being recovered. So, kind of with that being said, I wanted to focus on the process that you work with, um, especially for those who might be more interested in learning about an eating disorder recovery coach, you know, versus a therapist or a dietitian, and how you maybe work with those other parts of the puzzle um, to help a client in recovery. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, eating disorder recovery. um, coaching is a relatively new field especially in terms of like privately and not in treatment centers so I think historically in eating disorder treatment centers there has for many years been this role of a recovery coach and in the treatment center the way the coach works is and I can say this because this is what I did when I worked at eating disorder center of Portland is I um Essentially, I was in charge of a group of adolescents, uh, say 10 adolescents, and I would spend every minute with them from the time they arrived. Um, And this was an outpatient or a partial hospitalization program, which essentially means the girls spend 40 hours there a week, like eight hour days. And so, in that realm, um, the recovery coach is eating the meals with the client, like just doing day to day activities. So, I would Um, eat with them, do homework with them, read with them, do activities, sit in on their group therapy sessions. I was basically with them for uh, prepping meals with them, helping them make their food, uh, talking about, you know, just hanging out in the milieu and like discussing anything from teen drama to like which boy they liked or what was going on at school um, to deeper things, of course, of like what was going on in their lives and their families and what led them to their eating disorders. Um, but then on the private, so the private sector, the way this coaching um, business works is that Carolyn Costin, that, um, really she's this eating disorder guru um, in the field, still does a lot of work. She started this program because she saw the need that there's a lot of girls who, and, and males as well, um, who come out of treatment centers and they don't have support networks And they don't have a lot of like strong, a lot of additional help. And yes, they see their therapist once a week or more or less. um, But they need someone to help them with the day-to-day stuff. And they need someone to like like text and reach out to when it's mealtime and they don't want to eat. And so a lot of my piece, um, and when Carolyn was a therapist, like in the 70s, she used to do this work. Like she would eat a meal with a client and she would talk with them and they would call her up. At home, you know, in the, mm-hmm. late at night, but now, in the therapy realm, that's just it, it can't happen anymore, it doesn't happen um, for a variety of reasons. So, as a coach, I have clients um, we'll eat meal sessions together, either live or virtual. Um, you know we'll prep our lunch together and then mm-hmm. sit down and eat together, and we'll do meal challenges, so if someone like is ready to do food exposure and if they're afraid of eating pizza. Like we'll eat pizza together or we'll go out for pizza together and then they can check in with me after. So there's a lot of texting back and forth um, or emailing um, between sessions. So typically I'll meet with a client like once a week where we do a one hour session and do goal setting for the week, um, weekly check like some assignments together, depending on what, where they're at. And it's all over the board, like every every individual of course is unique in where they are at And some girls, we do get into the deeper stuff and they're ready to look at like big pieces of self-identity and who they are and on a soul level and do this like deeper healing. And some of them, we spend our whole time talking about eating that muffin that they couldn't eat for breakfast um, and things like that. But it's, yeah, it's a lot about focusing on like the food and getting in the exercise Um and kind of being that support person for them as they wean
0: off the eating disorder. That's really neat. I I love the concept of of sort of having having a coach available and the fact that you can be virtual too for those who maybe it's like a lower barrier to entry in a way versus yeah. needing to go, you know, not yeah. a replacement necessarily, right? But mm-hmm. more of a an addition. So yeah.
1: Totally. Yeah. So presently, none of my clients uh, live in Portland. Everyone, they're across the country and we meet virtually. Um, And it's funny, some of them I've been working with over a year, year and a half, that sometimes we'll joke like, oh yeah, we've never actually met. (laughs) Yeah. We have developed this relationship. Yeah. Um, Yes. And most of my, most of my clients do have therapists and many of them have dietitians as well. And I am fully supportive of that and um, helping clients. like I'm just another member of their team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm not like you said, I'm not in replacement of that.
0: definitely. Yeah. um since you're really, I mean, you're very, I would say on the cutting edge of you know this is sort of the direction that we're headed in terms of you seem to know like what's being done in this space. and um, what I guess, what areas do you see? progress being made, and maybe a couple directions we're headed in the next couple years with EDs running this whole space and recovery, and then maybe some gaps or areas you think we could do a better job of as a whole.
1: Yeah, yeah, those are great questions and exciting to think about. Um, and yeah, questions I think about a lot. I, I do think that we are headed in a, in a good direction, and I'm like inspired every day when I hear about more and more people doing similar work, um, like from some of your SRC podcasts, I've been introduced to the work of I think it was is it Megan Marshall who has the
0: yes, yeah, and I would love if you guys get to meet this yeah. summer, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm hoping to and her the live movement. Like I've already mm-hmm. been telling clients and teams about that. Cool. So I think every time I. Yeah, like when I start to dive into it, I will th- be inspired by all these other women doing incredible work in the field. And that's really exciting to see. Also, I, I've been giving more and more talks to collegiate teams. Um, Cross-country and track, of course, have my heart first. Um, but I have talked to volleyball, basketball teams, lacrosse, uh, rowing also. And that's always really exciting, just when a coach will reach out to me. I think that says a lot about the coach coaching and where their program schools different programs when the coaches are so on board and when the coaches are able to step up and say like hey this is not something we are experts on and we could use support in this realm and so one thing I've I am trying to get into more or have been envisioning for a while is working with teams directly so like maybe being in ED like a console a basically consulting for teams and being available just like they have their team doctors, um, and dietitians who come give talks, but being that person who the coaches, if they see an athlete who needs help, they can right away, just refer them to me and get help. Um, and it doesn't always have to be that the individual works with me. Like I'm not on this ego trip that I need to do it all, um, <laughs> yeah. but that I can at least put them in touch. Like I can find the right fit for them and find the resources Um, And then in terms of a a place, I still see a gap, a big gap, is that there are not, there are very few uh, eating disorder treatment centers that focus on athletes and that know how to work with athletes. Um, I love the McCallum Place and the Victory Program. I've recently become familiar with OPAL, and it seems like they're doing more and more of that work, Mm -hmm. specializing with athletes. Um, But... On a whole, many, it is a different, um, it is, does need its own unique treatment program, I believe, working with athletes. That is what inspired me to do this privately um, is that at the Eating Disorder Center of Portland, they, there is not a specialty program for athletes. And I just saw that gap that we would have girls come in and they are told um, almost to drop this piece of their lives of being an athlete. And I just knew looking back, and myself at that age, like that was, that would have been so hard and probably not even um, so productive. Like I think running, running always was that constant in my life and it has, um, it has also done incredible things for me and like brought me out of the eating disorder as much as it contributed to it or more, brought me out of it more. So I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really unique. I think seeing it more as how can we integrate this instead of just you and running have to be totally separate, right? And figuring out a way to to make them work together in conjunction really um, is important. Hey, Strong Runner Chicks, quick break here. It's Megan. I'm just on here to share a little bit more about the SRC retreat upcoming this June 5th through 7th in Mount Hood, Oregon, government camp area. So you can fly into Portland. It's about an hour away from there. We only have two spots left, and we would love for you to join us. Uh, signups are still open as of now for those two spots, so it could be you and a friend that comes for Valentine's Day. Um, some of our sponsors and partners I want to give shout-outs to real quick. Happy Mountain Kombucha, Nutso, Momentum, Territory Runco, Wildway, Femme uh, Protein Powder, Portland Bee Balm, Trailhead Coffee Roasters and Live Bar. Those are just a few of the several sponsors that we have lined up for you. And they're going to be providing some great swag and delicious food. Um, so we'll have cooked meals with dietitian Lauren Ross on site. We're also going to have Megan Marshall, Rachel Style, Grayson Murphy joining us there. And we have some great talks planned for you guys and some fun trail runs and hikes. All ability levels are welcome, so I just really want to stress that this is going to be an ideal retreat for just about anyone that loves running and wants to find a healthy and happy community in the sport of running. So feel free to DM us with any questions. You can also reach out to us, strongrunnerchicks at gmail.com. If you're interested in learning more and one more shout out, we have an event coming up, our first ever live this Tuesday, February 18th at 5.30 p.m. at Evolution Healthcare and Fitness located in Portland, Oregon. It's a women's discussion panel on running strong, long, and empowered. So come and join us if you're in Portland. Even if you're not in Portland, let your Portland friends know. We hope to see you there. Thanks and enjoy the rest of this episode. We are back and we're live and I wanted to know, Caitlin, what is what is lighting you up in life right now in and outside of running and yeah, just let us know if you've got anything upcoming races or um, exciting things for 2020.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I am signed up for a 50 K um, in trail race in forest park at the end of May, the Stumptown trail run, which I'm really excited about. Um, and then a few 20, I guess a couple 25 k. Um, before that. Uh, Is the internet okay?
0: I don't know what's going on. It usually never is this bad. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. It It shows red on your end. No
1: problem. It could be mine.
0: We're almost done. (laughs) I'm like, just get us through this last part. Hmm. Is
1: it working now?
0: I think it's back now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just
1: let me know. Right away. Okay. it disconnects. Okay. Okay. We're good. Yeah, yeah, let's continue. I was okay. the first um, Okay, yeah, I'm excited for those races. Um, mm-hmm. 2019 was a really interesting year for me. Um, and the fact that I, on one hand, I ran PRs in like every distance, almost from like the mile to the 50K um, and won some fun trail races. But I also, in a 10-month period, had two big injuries that took me out of work for a while um, and really forced me to stop and take a break from it. And so it was a really... Great year of growth, and again, like and I, I do think injuries serve a great purpose of um, giving you that introspective time to look in on on everything. And so, I feel like the first um, injury I had, I spent a lot of time um, looking in on myself and like what, if, where has running maybe become too, um, taken up a too big of a space in my life again, and become too consuming or too obsessive? Because I think I always do have to have that awareness of when I'm just, um, getting too far into it. Um, but I have developed a good self-awareness that, that I think is super important to have. Um, and then the second injury. And so I, after the first injury, I felt really good at like, okay, I know how to balance this. And then a couple months later, I had another, so then going on and what weakness is there. And so I was able to pinpoint um through physical therapy that like, oh, there's a lot of core work I need to do and a lot of focusing on my hips. Um and so I've been spending the last two months doing a lot of PT, a lot of core exercises, um, because I, I found out that yeah my hips super weak, only playing. Mm. Yeah. don't do any, a lot of additional strength work. Um, mm-hmm. you're just going to have those weaknesses. So I am, I'm like super excited to almost be, be running a different way and like to kind of reinvent myself and be, come back much stronger. I would say, yeah. um, the long runs definitely hit me more than anything else. Um, I love just doing long solo runs on trails. Um, and then in the, yeah. And, and then just life in general, um, I'm excited about like my my kids. I love being with them. They're really fun ages right now. Um, and my work, I love working with new uh, female athletes, runners especially, um, and helping be a part of people's journeys.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Um, well, we're almost to the end of our episode. One question I always like to ask is: looking back what advice would you give? We talked a little bit about perspective. What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Mm, Yeah. Um, Yeah. I do this in my talk sometimes. I'm trying to think, what did I just tell somebody? (laughs) The first thing I always think is slow down and be kind to yourself. I think that's a constant, really important practice in my life is looking, it's like gentle, loving kindness. And getting curious about things. I think like even an injury um, or that person who's driving you nuts or the friend you have who's challenging you um, or the kid, whatever it is, like look at what, like take some time to get curious about it and see what it's triggering within yourself. Cause I think so many of the things we carry out, uh, the patterns we carry on through our lives are like, almost needless suffering if we can tap into it and see how can this actually change me or why is it affecting me? Um, and we need to slow down to actually do that and to see those things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just to, yeah, I think those are probably the biggest thing. Kindness is huge to yeah. like, look at how you're talking to yourself in the inner, mm-hmm. I would say the inner voice and self-talk is really important too mm-hmm. and can be very telling.
0: Yeah. Um, I have to ask because I noticed in a recent Instagram post, your stack of books, which I was (laughs) like, these all look amazing. Um, what are a couple of resources that maybe you recommend most often to clients or just that are, um, that you're most passionate about or interested in right now in terms of books, podcasts, websites, anything else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the last two years, especially I've just been like Pouring through books and loving reading really good books and learning so much from them. I feel like I'm often like studying. Um, <laughs> I always consider myself a student.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I've become um, really interested in Buddhism and healing practices from like Buddhism practices, Buddhist practices. So uh, anything by Pema Chodron, I recommend. Um, she writes fail, fail again, fail better for oh. big ones. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, especially to like the young, I think like college, um, age is really, um, approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything by Pema. Okay. I, I love Michael Singer. The Untethered Soul is a book I recommend to a lot. Oh, of I
0: friends. love that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a favorite right now. I'm reading, um, Oh, gosh, what is it called?
0: We'll probably have it in my course right here. I saw Radical Acceptance. That's Yes, cool.
1: yes, by Tara Brock. Uh-huh. That's a great one. Also, um, Already Free by oh. Tift is really great. And it's Buddhism meets psychotherapy hmm. um, on the path of liberation. I think his work is really in, kind of enlightening. Um, and then podcasts. Yeah, I, I have been at Re- recommending SRC to all my clients and oh, thanks. a lot of people are really excited about it. Um I also am enjoying listening to um Sounds True, the Sounds True mm. podcast called uh Something at the Edge, Insights at the Edge. Oh. By Tammy Simon is wonderful. She goes really, really okay. deep with a lot of therapists. Um, Yeah, those are, and I I like The Morning Shakeout by Mario Fraley, yeah, that's a good one. That's a favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I'm constantly getting new books from the library and Amazon Prime and just filling up
0: bookshelves. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. Love it. Um, Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing. That's a great library to start from. Um, Another question before we get into our final one is how can listeners connect with you? What's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Instagram is great. Um, It's just at Endure Recovery and it's all like one word, Endure Recovery blended together. Um, Also, I have a website that's www.endurerecovery.com and um, my phone number, everything is listed on there. Um, Email, any, yeah, any mode of contact and I I always, like in my talks, I always encourage people to reach out and tell them that I'm here to like some, just to listen, if that's all they need. And sometimes I'll have a girl call me and just talk to me and tell me like what she's struggling with and ask a few questions. And sometimes I never hear from that person again, or sometimes we start um, work together. So
0: yeah,
1: always, I always want to be available there basically as a
0: person to, um, to reach out and to listen. Mm -hmm. And then you offer team talks as well, right? Mm -hmm. Is this just within sort of the Portland area or Washington at all?
1: Um, No, a lot of them. So a lot of those have been to California teams, actually. So many of them virtual talks as well. Okay. So
0: So the whole Pacific Northwest region kind of up for grabs if you're tuning in and you're like, let's bring Caitlin to my school or my team. Cool. Yeah. And I'm always happy to travel too. And even like, yeah, Yeah. I can make that work too. Great. Um, last question we always ask our guests is what does being a strong runner chick mean to you?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it means respecting myself and my body, listening and trusting, um, kind of in my own inner wisdom and knowing that I can trust myself. Um, and that if I do slow down and just listen to myself, like I know what's I have the answers.
0: Yeah. I love the inner wisdom piece. We actually have not gotten that before. So it's a, it's a great take on what it really means. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you again for being on. Do you have any, any final like shout outs or anything else you wanted to let listeners know about?
1: Um, yeah. Good question. I think just thank you for having me. I'm really honored to do this and to be a part of Strong Runner Chicks. Um, I love the movement that this is taking the plate direction it's taking our sport in. Um, Like I said, I'm so passionate about running, I love it. Um, But I do, and even more than that, I love to see the direction it's headed towards like allowing all women to feel like it's a place where they fit in. Um, And a place where they feel strong and empowered, like helping Young women, especially, feel empowered is a huge part of my mission um, and so yeah, any organization that's supporting that um, i'm excited
0: to be a part of yes, well, thanks for being on. We really, really appreciate you sharing your your wisdom and knowledge with us, and um it's very, very helpful to hear. And I know a lot of listeners will resonate. So um, yeah, thanks again, Strong Runner Chicks for tuning in to another episode of SRC radio. We look forward to hearing how you like this one. Be sure to leave a review. All right. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.